0: Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Norcross, along with meteorologist Luke Doris here at WPLG Local 10 in Miami. And, uh, Luke, we're recording this here on Wednesday afternoon, about 6.15 in the afternoon, uh, waiting on Hurricane Dorian. What do you think is the, is the first question in, in people's minds uh, here in South Florida and in Florida in general?
1: And Florida in general is probably, is it going to be, a, you know, is it going to be strong? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see category three on the cone as of this point. So that's number one. Number two, probably when's it going to hit? I've already had people come up to me and say, hey, uh, one, one guy had that I work with, he has a boat that he's worried about. Right. And he says, what do I need to know? When does this need to be wrapped up?
0: Yes. the The piece of information that people say that they want more than anything else is when. And the National Hurricane Center has an answer for that. And the answer is Saturday afternoon to Saturday evening on the current schedule with the current projected size of the storm is that would be the earliest time that the winds would deteriorate to the point that you couldn't function outside. So if you look on the National Hurricane Center site and we show it on on Local 10 News, you see a graphic called the earliest reasonable time of arrival of tropical storm force winds or 40-mile-an-hour winds, and 40 miles an hour uh, gets to the point where branches break and things happen where you really shouldn't be moving around.
1: Yeah, and that can be confusing because people see that graphic and then they see the cone, and it says a different time. And they're thinking, oh, I thought it was Sunday. Now it's saying Sunday. And the difference is that is where the center of The hurricane is expected to be in the cone, and obviously the winds are well out ahead of that. And it could also be faster than uh, perhaps is forecast in the cone, too, and it takes that into account.
0: Right. It takes the size of the storm into account, and it takes the possibility of the storm moving faster into account. So that's the timing on the storm right now. Late Saturday afternoon-ish in South Florida, and slightly different up and down the coast, but think the second half of Saturday as the is your preparation uh, deadline to be ready on the Florida East Coast, uh, depending on, on obviously, where it uh, heads. Now, the cone will narrow. The forecast will become more certain what part of the coast is most likely to be affected every day that we go here, just because forecasts get better with time. But uh, having a Category 3 uh, hurricane forecast to come to Florida at this time of year Slow moving, which is the thinking, is a an extremely scary uh, set of circumstances because of the tides. Yeah, king tides. King sure. tides. King tides. So the idea that the ocean temperature, ocean water, and the bay waters and all the waters associated with the ocean will be higher. In fact, the highest of the year in this time period it won't be this weekend the highest, but just generally quite high. Add to that a slow-moving hurricane. A slow-moving hurricane means that the winds blow toward the land on the right side of the storm as it's moving toward the land for a long period of time, for a number of days. Strong, strong winds pushing water against the coast. That raises the water higher. Add to that that it's slow-moving, so you have multiple high tide cycles with that onshore push of water. So exactly where the hurricane makes landfall or might make landfall is critical because m- most of that is going to be north of that point.
1: You, you mentioned the king tides. How, how big of a difference would that make in storm surge? I mean, wh- what's the difference in uh, what would be the storm tide uh, compared to, let's say, a normal non-king tide? So time? you're
0: telling me something I need to look up to be sure, but my, my, my sense is it's around a foot. That's significant. That we need to, you know, somewhere in that range. And the tides are actually running a little higher than normal anyway. So when you take that into account, plus the astronomical uh, tide, which is the king tide, uh, the King, king tide is the name we use here mostly for the high astronomical tides that come in the fall, you know, you just add to whatever the storm surge is and you add to whatever just the the uh, background push of water from a slow-moving storm is. So uh, the storm surge forecasts that the National Hurricane Center is going to make will take into account all these things. So it's not like we are going to add, if they say, okay, along this coast there's, four to six foot storm surge, we're not going to add anything
1: to that. They're going to take all that into account. Yeah, take We don't have to worry about doing math at home if you see, you know, the graphics. You know, Brian, with you're saying slow moving and we have Harvey, we have Florence in our recent memories from 2017. So inland flooding has been a big problem of recent big hurricanes. Do you see that being a problem with this storm?
0: It could be. Uh, The storm is going to turn to the north at some point because what's deflecting it toward Florida is high pressure. There's an end to the high pressure system somewhere over Florida. The Carolinas. somewhere is going to be the end, and it's going to drive around that high. Now, maybe it drives right up to Florida and turns north along the coast. Maybe it goes inland just a little bit and slowly turns north along the coast. That raises the threat of significant flooding in in that scenario if it's moving very very slowly maybe it drives all the way across the peninsula and then turns north into the panhandle or into the gulf coast and goes slowly up that way so uh we don't know exactly where it's going to track we don't know exactly where it's going to turn but all indications are in common sense just basic forecasting says it is going to turn to the north and when it is turning to the north it's losing its its push. It's the high pressure that's pushing, and now it's running out of high pressure, essentially. So that slows down the forward progress of the storm, and that's where you get into problems. If you think about Florence, Florence moved up, moved inland, 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 and gradually turned north. It was you know a scenario like this where it was going around the high pressure.
1: Okay. Let me, let me ask you this. You know, there have been a lot of questions with this storm up until today. Today we got some answers. Yesterday we got some answers, but today I think we got more. Or last night we kind of got some answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one of the questions was, hey, this is a small storm. It's not all that organized. Those are inherently more difficult to predict. On top of that, there was the question of what's going to happen when it runs into the mountains or if it would run into the mountains of the Caribbean islands. Well, we know those answers now. It didn't run into those islands. We have a more complete vortex. It's a hurricane now. It's a strong storm as it emerged into the Caribbean. Have we erased some of the uncertainty with this? Are we? Are, is it fair to say it's not so much if it's going to make a U.S. landfall somewhere in the southeast, including you know, the state of Florida is in that risk? It's, just, it's going to do it. Just where is that exactly going to be? I
0: think that, that the right word at this point is likely. Uh, if for some reason the, the high is weaker than forecast. You know, it could still turn north, uh, near the coast somewhere. We can't absolutely 100% rule that out, but that would be a very unlikely scenario. But, uh, you know, the cone seems to be about the right size where it shows pretty much all of Florida and most of Georgia in it right now. And if it were to turn along the coast, certainly you'd have to think Georgia and the Carolinas as well. Uh, But, anyway, to get to the the, uh, meteor question— I think the answer is likely yes. So this storm did not do what the model said, did not do what the cone said. It drove outside the cone constantly to the right of the cone, right? Based on what we normally see, a storm that has an eye wall, and this is now that eye wall is filling in. We're going to have a complete eye wall, I think, in, within, by tomorrow, if not sooner. Uh, these kinds of storms generally are better forecast by the models. We're also uh, the uh, National Weather Service and NOAA is going to deploy all its resources here pretty soon. To, and In fact, they already have got most of the resources going to fly around it, to put the best possible information in the computer models, and hopefully taking... The the storms improved character into effect, where we actually kind of know what's there now. It's not an amorphous blob of thunderstorms that are popping up and dying out. And the fact that that the the government and the National Weather Service are are doing everything they can to get the best possible data, we should get better uh, better forecasts. We should, you know, we'll see, but we should.
1: The, on the Uh, Cone question, Mm -hmm. you know, this is something that we talked a lot about behind the scenes today in the weather office, and that is just because you're not in the cone doesn't mean you won't see impacts. I'm thinking about the Keys here locally because they're not in the cone, uh, except outside of the extreme upper Keys. So, um, you know, that that uncertainty still plays in. You know, the the and you know, this has been a small storm, and we're expecting it to grow over time. Correct? So that could still put some impacts, even for those that aren't. We talk about that all the time on the podcast. Right. So there's
0: two parts to that. One is that uh, the winds, if the storm goes – well, if it's a normal size hurricane when it gets to Florida, the winds will extend outside of the cone because the cone is going to narrow. So, so, you know, the cone is just telling you about where the center is going, not where the winds are going. But also, the keys are very important because let's say the storm were to track over Lake Okeechobee, which is something like the European model this afternoon is indicated doing. That would mean strong winds would come from the northwest, from the Gulf of Mexico, pushing toward Florida Bay. That fills Florida Bay, that very, very shallow body of water, and that's how the Keys flood. The Keys, the, the most vulnerable way the Keys flood is from water from Florida Bay going over the Keys more than the Atlantic going over the Keys. Not that it, it can't happen in a big hurricane coming from the south. But, but the Keys could have flooding even with a hurricane fairly distant from the Keys, as they saw in Hurricane Wilma, which came from the other direction. But the, the water got pushed from the Gulf down into the Florida Bay. And until the wind switched around and pushed the water back out, I mean, there was significant flooding up and down the Keys uh, from Wilma. So uh, everybody in the Keys just needs to be very well aware. And I know that that uh, emergency management and and uh, the government in the, in Monroe County and in Key West is very very well aware and in close communications with the National Hurricane Center on what uh, they need to do to alert people.
1: Let's, in the case, let's talk about intensity for a second because we've talked a lot about on this podcast how that's that's really difficult. Our mm-hmm. technology is limited. You know, we've had a big improvements in track forecasting, not so much, and some improvements in intensity. Do you see anything here that could weaken the storm? Uh, is there anything up that that that's in its path that could be a problem, or is it likely to maintain the strength?
0: Well, there's nothing obvious to weaken it. There you know, we've seen over and over again that it ends up there's some kind of unfavorable upper-level wind creating so-called wind shear over the storm, which tends to limit its intensification. It's not obvious that that's happening. It also isn't obvious that a super-ideal weather pattern uh, will develop. So that's why the National Hurricane Center and and the models, uh, kind of the average of the models, is holding it at Category 3 as it comes uh, toward the coast. So these things are things that we can't detect very well in advance. And so the average errors in models uh, go up to about a category two days out, and then they stay about that going on in the future. The The errors don't really change that much because you can kind of only be so wrong on mm. average. Mm. you know. But we've had some spectacular misses. Hurricane Michael last year was a spectacular miss. Of course, that was in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, but this is in the Atlantic, and in those waters near the Bahamas are – exceptionally warm in the mid 80s to uh, in some places even warmer than that so so there's nothing obvious to make it weaker uh, but the models are evidently latching on to some set of factors that keep it from just intensifying and intensifying and intensifying Uh, but but we always say whatever the forecast is you add one category and you be ready for that so if, if they're forecasting a three and we say you got to be ready for a four. You're essentially saying you got to be in full hurricane preparation mode or have that in your mind because there's no, you know, you don't cut any corners when you're fooling with category threes and fours and let yeah. alone five hurricanes. But But you just, you know, then you're in full do everything possible to protect life and property kind of mode.
1: It's my point. my assumption just from, you know, talking to people around and, you know, when we had Hurricane Irma and, and past – Category 3, people really start paying attention. You know, 1s and 2s, people kind of joke about them a little bit, you know, see what happens. But 3 is really gathering some attention. People around uh, the, the station, anyway, that I've talked to directly and just from viewer interaction on, on social media, it seems like this this is being taken seriously.
0: I, I think so. Yeah, that's the impression I get, just judging by people in the stores already. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the impression I get. But, did you have something else you wanted to? Right?
1: Well, yeah, yeah. My, I mean, the podcasts are free, so <laughs> okay. My, my, yeah. you know, as a practical yeah. takeaway of preparation, you know, we're, we're oh. giving people this information. Uh, we're saying get ready, be prepared, stay up on it. What, what can people do practically? So
0: today, here is what I think people should do, and I really should put this out today. Uh, people should get get like Ziploc bags, fill them about three quarters with water, and jam them in the freezer. So fill up your freezer, every empty space in the freezer, so you have essentially no air in the freezer. The reason you do that today is because it takes time for them to freeze. And the idea is if you lose power over the weekend, you know, it can take a couple days for them to freeze. If you lose power, you want to have them all solid ice because that will keep not only your freezer cold, but it will keep your refrigerator cold too because those two, you know, there's an air passage that goes between them. It's the... Freezer that cools the refrigerator side, so it just keeps things colder longer. It's just a very practical, easy thing that you can do way in advance. Doesn't it's sort of no muss, no fuss. If it ends up not needing it, so what? You take your Ziploc bags out and you put them away. You know, uh, it's an easy thing to do today. But beyond that, everybody needs to think about what they're going to do tomorrow and Friday if it keeps happening, because Friday and Saturday will be preparation days.
1: Okay yeah,
0: yeah, that's it. So uh, why don't we wrap it up there for this uh, Wednesday afternoon of uh, talking uh, at about 6:15 in the afternoon. So uh, obviously stay in tune with uh, all the latest advisories and uh, we'll uh, have another podcast for you, uh, hopefully a couple of them tomorrow uh, just to just to, because there's going to be a lot to talk about. We, we know there is. All right, thanks very much uh, for Luke Doris. I'm Brian Norcross. Uh, we'll talk to you soon.